Every relationship has conflict. Uh, sometimes we have conflict in our relationships uh, about what we're wearing. Maybe we have conflicts in our relationships about where we want to go, uh, where we want to go eat dinner. Maybe we have conflict about uh, what we want to do next weekend. Or maybe we have conflict about what you said to your friends that I didn't want you to say to your friends. Maybe we have conflict uh, about how you act in certain situations. Or we have conflict about the fact that you brought up that sore subject that you knew I didn't want to talk about. Maybe we have conflict about the fact that you made me feel a certain way at that certain time. Or we have conflict sometimes about how do we even have conflict, right? That's my favorite conflict, the conflict about conflict, because it makes no sense in its inception. And Christopher Nolan absolutely invented it. Uh, But we have conflict, right? Every relationship has conflict. The difference between a good and bad relationship is not if they have conflict. The difference between a good and bad relationship is how they have conflict conflict. How do they fight? We need to know how to fight, right? We talked about this all semester. We've been talking about this relationship. We've been studying the Song of Songs and attempt to understand what is God's design for relationships. And so we've been walking through all these different areas of a relationship from attraction to pursuit, to dating, to marriage, to sex. We've been walking through all of these different aspects and we've been trying to understand how do these things reflect God? Because we realize that God has designed relationships to function just as normal songs do. A normal song has both a melody and it also has a message that's being declared behind that music. In the same way, our relationships have their own melody, their own unique way of playing out. But behind that melody, there's always a message. And so we've been trying to understand as believers, how do we pursue not just good relationships, not just healthy relationships? How do we pursue godly relationships that sing his song over the noise of our world? How do we use the melody of our relationships to present his message, his gospel? How do we do that? And so we've seen in our attraction, in our pursuit, in our dating, in our marriage, in our sex, how we reflect the Lord. And what I want us to do this morning is understand how do we reflect Him in conflict? How do we reflect the gospel through conflict in our relationships? I mean, if you haven't been with us all semester, I should have been doing a better job of letting you know. Uh, we have an app, and we've, it's not new anymore. This is just the best picture I could find. But we've had it for a little over a year. It's the easiest way to access our older sermons. We're on iTunes, but we also have this app. It's super easy to use. Uh, you can sign up for all of our events and see what's going on small groups, uh, but you cannot, it's the easiest access to our sermons. So if you've been missing anything, if there's an aspect of a relationship that you're like, man, yeah, how do I, how do, I do that? Please use this, use this resource. I should have been reminding you all semester. I haven't, but I am now. We're going to make it, right? But we see, we see, especially in our conflict, an opportunity to reflect the gospel. And in order to do that, what we're doing is we're moving through the book and we're actually moving directly into the next chapter. If you were here last week, you know that we were talking about sex. We were talking about how do we reflect the gospel through our sexuality, And what we are now doing is we are just moving to the very next verse. That's what I love about the Song of Songs. As it's progressing, remember, it's not necessarily one couple uh, on this perfect timeline, this perfect narrative. Uh, There's another chance, there's a high probability that it's a collection of poetry that's not connected by a perfect timeline, but instead is connected by a poetic theme. And so we understand that even in the midst of that beautiful union, that beautiful marriage, that what immediately comes... What immediately follows is conflict. 
We're moving into the first of two chapters dedicated to conflict in relationships. Right? This whole book is eight chapters. We've got one on sex, one on attraction, one on dating, one on marriage, one on these different areas, one on commitment. And we have two on conflict. Two. Why? Because the Song of Songs is telling us conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable, but it's an opportunity to reflect the gospel through our relationships. Now, when I say that every single con- couple has conflict, uh, maybe some of you have a pushback on that. You're like, well, no, like these people I know or my parents. And I have, to be fair, there are three couples. I, as I was thinking and planning and prepping and studying, I think there's three couples that don't have conflict. Three types of couples. Uh, the first is going to be dead couples, right? So <laughs> they're dead. No more conflict, praise the Lord. Right? It's amazing. It's a beautiful moment that we should all strive for. Uh, the second type of couple, uh, maybe they're not dead, uh, but they are dominated. One side is effectively dead, where one side has just been beaten down and rejected and dismissed and demeaned over and over and over and over again until they just roll over and they just, they just give up. Right? That, that couple doesn't have conflict. We also see a third couple that doesn't have conflict. That's the disconnected couple. And, and that's where the relationship itself is effectively dead. There's no romance. Uh, they're just roommates. Right? Some of us are coming from homes like that. Some of us know people that are in that situation. There's no conflict there. Why? Because they don't care. They don't care. They share a bed and a house, a kitchen, that's it, as far as the relationship goes. And so there's no conflict. The reality is we need to have conflict, right? We don't want to be any of those. We need to have conflict, but we need to have conflict well. We need to fight well. How do we fight? What we see in chapter 5, verse 2, if you have a Bible, if you want to grab one from the row around you, uh, we're going to be there all the morning. As we look in chapter 5, verse 2, we see the beginning of conflict. Right? Before we even get into the how do we do it, first we just see there's a reason, right? There's a reason for conflict. There's always going to be a reason. There's always going to be this justifiable reason where you're like, okay, yeah, this is the thing that came up. It was this idea or this concept or this thing I did. For this couple or in this poem, what they're saying is the woman is speaking and she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. This is him. He says, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. What's happening? In this poem, in this song, the woman is describing, again, this is probably just an entirely fictional event, but she's saying, look, this is, I'm asleep and my heart's awake. So some people say, well, this is just a dream, almost within a dream, within the inception, right? Like this is what's happening right here. This is a dream within this fictional story. And so she hears a sound. She's someone is knocking at the door and it's her beloved. It's her husband. It's her spouse. What does he say? First, he calls her lots of really sweet names, right? Oh, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, right? What in the world is on his mind, right? What's he thinking about? What do you think he's going to follow up this description with? Why does any guy walk up? Husband walked to his wife, oh, hey, baby dog, with sweet cakes, bae. You know, why? Why do we talk like that? 
Because there's a motive, right? And so he's saying, look, I'm the sweet, oh, sweet darling. My head is wet with dew. My locks with drops of the night. What is he describing? He's saying, I've been out late. Man, I've been working hard. And I'm coming home and I'm looking for comfort. I want comfort and I want to I know you. He's saying, I want to have sex with you. Because sex in and of itself, we talked about this like a year ago. But man, it can function as an incredible comfort in a relationship. It, it, it puts emotions and feelings into action that you can't express in words. It's an oasis in a desert. And he says, and that's, that's what I need. Right? He's coming to it and he's being open and honest. And this, is, this is what I need, my, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Come, answer the door. Let's get it on. <laughs> and how does she respond? I had put off my garment how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? She's rejecting him. This woman, right, who just heard all these wonderful things, this beautiful bride that he's describing and, and just eloquently describing, she says, oh, well, I already took off my pants, right? There's conflict about whether or not you need to wear pants. I told you that that video was applicable. We have conflict. She took off her pants. She's like, I don't want to put my pants back on. I don't want to, my feet are going to get dirty. Uh, one pastor, as he was unpacking this, said uh, she actually uses the original Hebrew uh, for, I have a headache, right? Not really. He was kidding. But it's that same idea, the same concept. She's saying, oh, I, I just, I don't want to, right? I'm just not in the mood. And what is she doing? She's being selfish in his time of need, right? She's saying, oh, I'm just not ready. Like, it's not, not my time my pants are off, right? She would think would help, but no. She's like, no, I don't. I got to put them on to go answer the door. I don't want to deal with it. So all of a sudden, we have conflict, okay? This is the beginning of conflict. This is a legitimate reason. The man comes to her with a need, right? And this could be either side, and this could be any need. In this particular instance, it just so happens that he's looking for intimacy. He's looking for sexual intimacy. She says no. But this, you could substitute any other reason in this exact moment. One side is coming to the other with a need. The other side says, I don't want to meet that need. And boom, you've got conflict. And when this conflict arises in our relationships, whether it's with someone we're dating or honestly, the same kind of thing happens with our friends, with our family. When this conflict arises, a lot of times we fall back on our default conflict method. Okay, everyone's kind of got their own way that they fight. This is how I fight. And as I was talking with some interns, I was talking with some leaders, uh, I tried to kind of think through, find, uh, collect, what are the ways that we tend to be fighting? What are the ways that we as students at Texas A&M University, how do we generally fight? And then one of the ways that we approach it, one of the biggest ways is that we come at it and we want, we want to fight. In other words, we want to win, right? We come at this like it's a competition. We come at it like there's a victory to be achieved. And so we walk in and we go immediately for the throat. Man, we, we hit whatever insecurity we know exists. This happens way too often in dating relationships and marriages where you're so close with that person, man, you know it makes them tick. You know, you know what buttons to push and you push them. And you know what they're so insecure about. You know what makes them just the most anxious and you just go for it. If you're using, if you're hitting those insecurities, man, you, 
You're trying to win that conflict. Another way that we kind of go in and try to win is we look for the worst in that person. We look for the absolute worst possible explanation for that situation. And a lot of times what we, the way that comes out, the way that we express that is we use superlatives. Right? Superlative meaning like the maximum. So it's, if you walk in, you say, you always, whatever. You never, ugh. you are the most, whatever, insert whatever, right? You never, you never shower. You never shower, right? That doesn't even make sense. Like that's not, that doesn't make sense. But people hear that every day because they, it's like they didn't shower that one time. And you're like, you never, you never, you never shower. You filthy swampy person, right? Like that's, that's not, but it's not true, right? But we walk into it and we want to win. And so we use those superlatives. And here's the problem. When we walk in and we try to win that competition, when we try to achieve victory in the midst of that conflict, you lack perspective. The problem is that you have no perspective on that conflict and you wind up like this girl. Vivian, can you please help me out? I need a hand. Please just come. Just, Just absorb the sadness of that moment as her shirt absorbed the water. Man, I... When you fight dirty, man, what happens? When you fight dirty, when you walk in trying to win, you go for the throat, you look for the worst. When you do that, the moment will come when you are sad and wet and wondering, where did it all go wrong? Like, what, what just happened? The reality is that when you walk in trying to win, man, you lack perspective to understand that you're both going to suffer. You both suffer. There is no victory to be achieved for one side or the other. When you walk in wanting to win, no one's going to win. Because <laughs> you're a team. But you're walking and you're trying to exert your dominance to do this or that. And you're both going to get hurt. You're both going to suffer. Because there's life beyond that fight that we're going to talk about next week. And that life is so much harder when you fight dirty beforehand. But sometimes we don't do that, right? Sometimes we're not necessarily walking in trying to fight. Sometimes we walk in, we're trying to flee. In other words, we walk in and we just sort of uh, deny anything's happening. We just sort of withdraw, right? Something pops up, a conflict arises, an issue. And we're like, I'm going to put that under the rug and I'm going to leave the room and leave the house and sell the house. (laughs) And set the house on fire, right? Like I'm going to do all those things because I just don't want to do I'm going to talk about that never, right? Like that's why I want to deal with that conflict. Some of us, we walk in and we try to ignore those things. And here's the problem. The problem when we try to do that, when we try to just withdraw and close ourselves off, uh, one of our interns told me that uh, he's legitimately grown up he was just really bad at conflict. And so they'd be sitting at the table, maybe at lunch or something. And there'd be start to be an argument between two people. And he would literally just like cut his head like a gopher, right? Just kind of like not here, right? And just trying to not be there. But that doesn't work, right? What's the problem with that? The problem is that there is just going to be bitterness created. You are creating bitterness. And that thing is going to show up eventually, I heard a presentation this past week uh, from one of our awesome ministries here called Celebrate Recovery, where they work with men and with women, with students, with adults uh, on issues in their lives. A lot of times it's addiction uh, or problems that they have and these deep-seated 
issues. And what the guy was telling us, the, the leader of that organization who sees so much conflict, who sees so much pain, who sees so many issues that have been swept under the rug that he walked into that moment. And when he was talking to our staff, he said, you know what? We like to say that time heals all wounds. Right? That's an expression. He says, and that is a lie. He says, that is a lie. He says, if you walk in and you just try to let time deal with that wound, you know what's going to happen to that wound? You give that wound time. If you leave that wound alone for an extended period of time, it's going to get infected. And it's going to get gangrene. And it's going to fall off. Right? Like you're going to lose the limb or whatever. Time only works if there is resolution. Again, something we're talking about more next week. But time only works if there has been treatment. If you've done something to clean that wound, to stitch up that wound. If you just let the wound exist and you're like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that. Then it's just going to get worse. Bitterness will arise. It will show up eventually. Don't do that. Sometimes we don't walk in trying to fight. Sometimes we don't walk in wanting to flee. Sometimes we just walk in and we just want to forget about it. In other words, uh, we just want to dismiss it. We just want to kind of, uh, and we say maybe the words that you've said are, well, you, you don't need to feel that way. Right? You shouldn't feel that way. Why do you feel like that? You're wrong for feeling that way. And we try to dismiss the problem. Or sometimes we even demean that person. We say, you are dumb for feeling that way. It is foolish. You are a fool for feeling that way. Which is so misguided. Which never works. I was playing charades with my niece the other day. She's three and a half years old. Her name is Penelope. And we were playing charades and she was playing, pretending to be uh, a variety of different animals, uh, like penguins or, I kid you not, pencils. Okay, she was <laughs> trying to pretend to be those things. And at one point, uh, she was near our dining table and she was trying to be like a bear or something because uh, I just couldn't guess it. I don't know what was wrong with me. But she was trying to get me to guess bear and she reared up and she just clocked her head on the back of the table. Okay, just, oh, and there's that moment that I'm watching the whole thing, right? And she's not like, she's my niece, but like, she's not my daughter. So it's kind of funny, you know? And so I see, <laughs> and so I see in that moment, I'm like, ah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, cause it's not that bad, right? It's not too bad. And she's just kind of, she's frozen in that moment. And then she's like, oh, oh. And she, her brain starts to like process. She's like, that was bad. And so she gets up and starts wandering towards her dad. right? <laughs> and she says, you know, she's like, ah. And in that moment though, like I saw the whole thing unfold. I saw, like I had warned her beforehand, like, hey, don't play it here. Don't get out from underneath the table. Like I tried to steer her away from that. And so in that moment, I'm telling you, even in deep down, I almost want to be like, hey, you know, you did that, right? Like, you know, you know, you caused that pain. And there's something within me that wanted to almost dismiss her feelings because I felt like she arrived at them through foolishness, which is obviously, so I'm a terrible person and uncle. <laughs> and I should not have a baby in five weeks, right? Like that shouldn't happen. Because we, there's something in us, man, where when we see someone and they feel that, right? You're in that conflict. You're having that conflict with your spouse. Man, I promise you it will happen with your spouse. You've probably seen this with siblings, with family, with friends, where they feel something, guilt or anger or whatever it is, pain. And there's something in you that wants to say like, 
you shouldn't feel that, right? Like you are dumb. Like we want to dismiss it or we want to demean that person. But hear me when I tell you that does not work. How helpful would it have been if in that moment when Penelope's like rubbing her head, I go, well, bear shouldn't be under the table, you know? Like what, where would logic have fit into that equation? It wouldn't have. Why do we try to do it with other adults? Why do we try to move in and be like, ah, you shouldn't feel that way. Do not ever, ever dismiss someone's feelings because you think they're wrong for feeling them. They feel them. Those feelings are there. And maybe there will be a moment of clarity where a conversation can occur, where you try to avoid getting those feelings again or where you can talk about how did we get to that point. But in that moment, when those feelings are present, do not do not dismiss them. And I tell you, I've seen my guy friends, I've seen husbands do this more than anyone else in the world. Do not dismiss your wife's feelings. Do not dismiss your spouse's feelings. Women, it happens to guys as well. You don't dismiss it. You don't demean it. You recognize that they're there. Otherwise, you're going to be destroying trust. Right? The problem with dismissing those feelings, the problem with wanting to just sort of forget about whatever's happening is you destroy trust. You dissolve honest communication. You remove honest communication from your relationship because every single time you dismiss it, you're like, ah, whatever. You don't need to, that's dumb that you feel like that. That person's not gonna come and tell you the next time they feel that way. And pretty soon, there's no honesty. There's a breakdown in your communication. And that is the first and best way to just destroy a relationship. It's to remove that honesty. Just don't do it. Man, but some of us, we're, we're not trying to fight. We're not trying to flee. We're not trying to forget. Some of us, we just want to fix it. Right? Some of us, that conflict arises, that issue pops up, and we just want to settle down and be like, okay, you just need to do this, right? Or I need to do this, or we need to fix this situation. I want to solve this problem and then move on, right? This is the way that I generally operate. This is my default. I want to just solve the issue and then move on, right? If I see my sink and it is overflowing with water, I don't want to sit there and listen to it overflowing with water to better understand why is it overflowing with water, right? I don't want to just, oh, wow, that gurgle, gurgle, indeed. Right? I don't want to have that moment. I want to turn off the water. I want to go in and figure out, like, who put Batman down the sink? Like, I want to figure out what's the problem. I want to fix it. And we approach conflict with people in the same way. We want to move in and we want to hear something. And then we say, okay, well, look, this is just what you need to do. Oh, you're having a problem with your roommates? Are you having a problem at work? Are you having problems with this or that? You're having a problem with the kids? Look, just tell them this. Just do this. Just go do that. And when we do that, man, when we just try to fix that problem, you know what it does is it destroys respect in our relationships. It dissolves respect. Neither side feels respected. Why? Because one side is coming to the other. One person is saying, here's my issue. And they just want it to be heard. Man, they just want a sounding board. They want someone to just support them and be there for them. And so they say, this is what's going on. And then when the other person sees it, it's like, oh, well, here you go. Just do these things. There we go. Let's move on. Like, and let's, that feels disrespectful to the first person. 
And then when that first person just pulls back and they're like, oh, I didn't want you to, oh, and they just kind of walk away and they don't do those things, all of a sudden the fixer feels disrespected. All of a sudden, both sides feel disrespected. Neither side feels like they've been listened to or heard. We don't walk in and try to fix someone's problem unless they ask us, right? Best advice I ever heard. I think it was from my wife about my wife. Sometimes you can just listen and just hear me out. And that's okay. And if I need help, if I need uh, ideas, if I want assistance in fixing something, I will, I will ask. I promise I will ask. And I said, okay. But then I do it again anyway, because I'm terrible. Right? But I'm trying, I'm working. But our issue, man, we, we walk and we want to fix it and just move beyond the problem. We, we try to fight, man. We try to flee. We try to forget. We try to fix. So what does he do? Song of Songs. The original design, how does this man handle the conflict? What does he do? She says that he puts his hand to the latch of the door, and her heart was thrilled within her. So I arose to open to my beloved. My hands, they dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. Suddenly we see in the midst of this conflict, in the midst of this rejection, the man is apparently putting myrrh on the handle of the door. She goes up, she's like, oh, myrrh, right? And this isn't like a prank or anything, although that might be hilarious. I don't know. Like Crisco on the door handle or whatever. So she walks up, she goes, oh, myrrh. What is that? Why? Why is he doing that? Like, well, myrrh, right? Why is he, why is he putting myrrh on the handle? Because this is a sign of love. Myrrh was a, was a sign of love and affection. Gentleness, it smelled good. It was this beautiful aroma, this beautiful thing. And so what we see is he is reaching out and he is giving a sign of love and affection in the midst of their conflict, in the midst of, of her rejection of him. And you know what else he does? She opens up the door to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. And sometimes we look at this, we're like, oh, what the, like, that's kind of bad. So he just leaves, he abandons. No, like what we're seeing here in this dream sequence, right? In this poetic dream sequence is this woman is describing, no, I, I went for him and, and he was gone. In other words, he respectfully withdrew. He didn't push, right? What was their conflict about? Sex. And so when he puts out the proposition, he says, hey, love dove, what up? Wet hair, you know? And she says, I don't, I don't want to put pants on. What does he do? He doesn't push more, right? He doesn't say, well, come on. Like, oh, you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't try to push. So what does he do? He, he responds with love and affection, puts myrrh on that handle, and he withdraws. He says, okay, okay. He's responding with gentleness, with affection in the midst of that rejection. Why? Because our scripture, our Bible, is so full of relational principles and advice. 
There are so many passages describing marriages and, and what it looks like between a husband and a wife, with your kids, with your family, with your parents, whatever it looks like. There's so much in our scripture. And I'll tell you, there is no passage in our scripture that ever tells us, that ever tells me to fight or flee or forget or fix my spouse. That is nowhere in scripture. You know what I find instead? The commands that I see in scripture about my spouse, the passages that I find, they tell me to love, to serve, and to sacrifice for my spouse. That's what my Bible tells me. That's what my God tells me. When we find ourselves in conflict, I mean, do we want to know how do we fight? How do we handle conflict? Well, I'll tell you, it's because it, the way to go about it is to not react to your spouse. The way to have conflict well is to respond to your God. You don't re- just react to that person, to your spouse, or maybe your friend or your family. You don't just react to that person the way that you want to react. Instead, you stop in that moment and you respond to your God. And you obey your God. And you realize that your God has called you to love, serve, sacrifice for your spouse, for your friend, for your brother, for your enemy. For your enemy, we are called to love. God calls me to obedience. And if I trust him, if I trust that he knows best, if I trust that he's in control, then I can obey and I can trust that if needed, he will call that other person to repentance. I don't have to worry about bringing justice. I don't have to worry about fighting and winning. I don't have to worry about dismissing it or I don't have to worry about fixing the situation. Why? Because I know that my God is ultimately in control. And so I know from him, I am called to respond to him through love and obedience, through service, through sacrifice. And I let him take care of this other person. Why do we ever think that manipulation helps a relationship? Why do we ever try to use, uh, you know, criticism or guilt or anger or yelling? Why do we try to bring those elements into relationships, into conflict? Why do we ever think that that's going to change people? It never works. It never, ever works. Song of Songs, we're seeing this relationship blossom and grow. We see him speaking to the woman, describing her as this dove. A few weeks ago, we said, he said, you're a dove in the rocks, right? Right there. Legitimately in Israel, this dove. Ooh, right, right there. He says, that's what you're like. And you don't move in. You don't try to criticize that dove out of the rocks, right? Like, ah, oh, I wish you had longer wings, you short wing weird. You know, like you don't do that. You don't criticize, you don't yell at him. You don't try to manipulate that dove out of the rock. Why can't you be more like the pigeon that Brian is dating? Why can't you be more like that bird, right? We don't do that. We know that that is counterintuitive. And so why do we walk into relationships attempting to manipulate that person, criticize that person into fitting into whatever we think they need to be? And when we do that, I mean, when conflict arises, if she had said, oh, I don't want to pull my pants on. And he says, well, your pants look stupid anyway. Like if he had just gone back at that and knocked him out of the door. In that moment, that's just adding fuel to the fire. It is easy to hate a hateful person. It is easy to be angry at an angry person. You are just making that flame bigger. But when we respond in love, if we respond with affection, a game changer. 
when I respond in love, scientifically, just read this this morning, Scientific Journal did a study on people in conflict and I mean, what does it look like in our brains when we're fighting someone? And they found that there's this part of your brain called the amygdala and the amygdala is the threat response center of the brain. So if a bear pops up, and you're like, ah, and your amygdala does something, okay? That's basically how it works. So it's your threat. It's like, bum, 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 no, look out, bear. And so your brain is detecting threats and they've discovered while they were doing these uh, scans in people's brains, doing these MRIs and kind of putting them through these different situations, they discovered that if someone is reminded, shown, affirmed in the fact that they're loved, and that they're cherished, if that moment happens, if that affirmation comes, it literally dampens the threat response center of the brain. It, it slows the amygdala down. It, it shuts it down. They wouldn't even have to, they, so they tried it with people like, I love you. And they'd be like, oh, and they'd feel better. But it was more than that. They could even just look at pictures of other people hugging and being happy together and being loved and cherished families on Christmas morning, opening stockings and doing all those things. And they would see those pictures and that would dull, dampen the threat perceived by their brain. Man, just our chemistry, the way that God has wired us, even in our brains, he has designed us to where we are in conflict and love shuts it down. Man, that's beautiful. That's incredible. Because when I walk into that conflict and I respond with love and affection, I am presenting a beautiful picture of the gospel. I'm showing my spouse that I love them even when things aren't great. Even when the relationship doesn't seem perfect, I still love them. And I'm reflecting the gospel. Why? Because Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven onto earth to die, not for the perfect people who had good relationships with God. He came to earth to die for sinners. He came to earth to die for people in open rebellion. And so when I see that love and that grace, how could I not extend that to my spouse? Knowing that Christ died for rebellious sinners, how could I not give that grace to my spouse? How could I not be that refuge for them, that love? Because the reality is that our world is not a gracious place. When the woman goes out, again, just dream sequence, she's walking out. She says, where's this guy? The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil. Those watchmen on the walls. What's happening? I mean, scholars are... They fall all over the place because they're like, I don't like, is this just the way the world sees you in conflict? Is this the way that whatever? I think the best explanation what we see right here is this woman is moving out beyond the relationship that is in turmoil, right? So the relation there is conflict and is, is bad and she walks out of it and the world around her is just as bad. It's worse. When there is conflict, when there is turmoil in that relationship, man, you don't expect to find fulfillment outside of the relationship. Don't you ever believe that lie, that the grass is greener over in that side? That the grass is greener if I was just with her, or if I just wasn't with you? 
Because you walk out of that relationship, you find so much pain, you find so much destruction. God promises this to us. He says in 1 Peter that husbands need to live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. In other words, just the more precious vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's he implying? If you walk into that marriage and that relationship and you're mistreating that spouse, if you're not living with them in an understanding way, showing honor to that spouse, guys and girls, if you're not bringing love and affection to that person, then you can expect that your prayers will be hindered. In other words, you can expect that life's not gonna be going according to your plan. That God will not, he will withhold blessing from your life because your marriage is in shambles. Do not expect to find fulfillment outside of that relationship. God will bring justice to that person. There needs to be a lesson taught. You can step out of the way and let God deal with that disobedience. He promises it. So when I'm in conflict with my spouse, I don't need to fix it. I don't need to fight them. I step out of the way. I say, God, you can handle this. I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm not going to react to this person. I'm going to respond to you. I'm going to respond to you knowing that you've told me to love and serve and sacrifice for this person. And when I do that, when I pour out that love in that midst of that conflict, this woman is going to call out and she tells the chorus that we've been seeing over and over again. She tells these daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved that you tell him, I am sick with love. When he is loving and gracious towards her, what does it do? It stirs her affection. It stirs her love. It stirs her grace. Healthy conflict brings healthy change in that other person. Again, we're going to talk about that a lot more next week. About how do we achieve resolution? How do we bring uh, forgiveness and healing to those moments when we don't fight well? But man, if we do... It's a beautiful picture. How do you know that Christ is a wonderful, kind, and faithful Savior? How do you know that? Because when sin abounds, or when sin increases, grace abounds. Because when I see more and more faults in my life, I see more and more grace and love and forgiveness poured out from my Father. Even when I make mistakes, even though I call myself a Christian, even though I've put my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, even though I'm in that camp and I go to church and I go to those Bible studies and I do all these things, and yet even in the midst of all that, I'm making mistakes and I've got that hidden sin that I don't want to tell anybody about, or I've got my marriage and then I'm just not treating her well, or I'm in this dating relationship or this or that, and I'm just doing it so poorly. Even in the midst of all those faults and all those mistakes, I know that there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Jesus Christ. I know that God has died for those sins. Why do we know that that person in our relationship, how do I know that my spouse, how do I know that Susan Smith is a loving and gracious and wonderful person? Because God has allowed us to have conflict. Because God has allowed me to hurt her in ways that are unthinkable. And yet she forgives. She's gracious. That's how we know. That's why conflict exists. Because if we respond in love, it's a reflection of the gospel, not only to that other person, but it's a reflection of the gospel to the world around us. Because if we're honest about the conflict in our relationships, if we're willing to speak openly to our friends and our family about what's going on in these relationships that we have, what better way 
to demonstrate the gospel, the love of Christ to these other people. What better way than to tell them, you know what? Yeah, so-and-so, yeah, she, she did this and that. It was so crazy. But you know what? Uh, I still love her. I'm going to forgive her because Christ has forgiven me of so much worse. Yeah, I know I did this to her and I did that to her. And yeah, she forgave me. We're, we're good, man. We've talking through it. How can she do that? Because Christ forgave the both of us. Because we're ultimately not just boyfriend, girlfriend. We're ultimately not just husband, wife. We are ultimately brother and sister in Christ on equal footing. Both sinners in need of a savior. Both broken people made new. So man, as we, as we worship, man, as we sing a few more songs, I would encourage you to just be thinking about where that conflict has been arising in your life. Again, maybe it's in a dating relationship. Maybe it's a conflict you need to have that you've been denying or drawing from. Maybe it's with a, a roommate, family member. Where has that conflict arisen in your life? And be praying, be thinking, asking the Lord to show you, I mean, where, where could you better reflect the gospel in the midst of that conflict? Where could you pour out love and grace, even in the midst of disconnection, of aggression? So let's pray. Lord, we, God, we thank you that you loved us while we were still sinners. That, God, you died for us while we were rejecting you. Lord, we ask that we would just be faithful to, to show that love, God, to express that grace, express that forgiveness to the world around us. If you would take a moment, just ask the Lord to show you where has conflict arisen? Where have you handled it poorly? Where can you move in through the power of this Holy Spirit to bring healing, forgiveness, to bring healthy conflict, and I would encourage you, if you're not a believer in this moment, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, ask the Lord, what do you do about that? Talk to him about that fact. Admit that you are still in conflict with the God of the universe. Know that you can be forgiven. Know that there are people in the back that are praying for you, that you can go and talk to, ask to pray for you in a more specific way. So if you're a believer, again, ask the Lord to show you where can your conflict be better. If you're not a believer, ask the Lord to show you how do you gain relationship with him.